0: Hey, I don't know if I want the dinosaurs to come back, but pancakes in the morning always sound like a good idea, especially if I'm not making them, you know. You maybe have heard some prayers similar to that before, maybe from your own kids, maybe you've read them on Facebook. I know for me, I love when my brother and sister-in-law tell me what my niece is praying for. She just turned six last weekend. Uh, Josh and I got to go to her sixth birthday party. It was a kitten birthday party. It was awesome. There was like a bouncy house and everything. Well, they told me around Christmas time uh, that she was praying for a unicorn for Christmas. Classic five-year-old girl, right? She wants a unicorn for Christmas, but this chick, she doesn't want a stuffed animal unicorn. She doesn't want an action figure unicorn, not a ride-on toy, no, this chick, she wants a real, live unicorn. Who wants to tell her? Who wants to tell her? I mean, on Christmas Day, she walked to the living room, and she had uh, a gymnastics bar waiting for her. So she was thrilled. I don't know if she forgot about the unicorn or not, but, but it's pretty cute, right? And it's, like, really funny. We all get some good laughs out of these Types of prayers or or these things that we hear kids pray for that we're kind of like ah do I tell them like honey the dinosaurs aren't going to come back or like you might grow a beard someday I'm really sorry like we want to tell them because we know we know that those prayers probably won't get answered and in reality we can all relate with these little kids Because we pray for things that we want, things that we desire, things that we would like to happen. And a lot of times, so often, very few of our prayers get answered. Well, except for the ones that were already going to happen, right? Like, turns out your keys, they were exactly where you left them. And the parking spot that you got was a great parking spot And you found a bargain spot, but so did hundreds of other non-prayers. And your team won, but they were projected to win. Uh, There's these other prayers, too. As Ben would call them, the ALT prayers, as long as it takes prayers. The only God can make this happen prayer. The I need a miracle prayer. The ones where you just really need God to come through. You don't care how long it takes. And every once in a while, we'll get a yes. But so many times, too, uh, we see the outcome of those prayers not what we wanted, not what we asked for. So, if this is true, if so many of our prayers go unanswered, I think it's fair that we kind of look into this, that we evaluate do we know how to pray? Do we know why we pray? Do we know how to pray? Do you know how to pray? And and I'll take it even a step further. I mean, if prayer is our main communication, the main avenue for the way that we talk to God, and if so many of our prayers go unanswered, is what we believe about God true? Are our thoughts about God right or correct? We'll get back to that in, in just a minute. But if this idea that, that maybe you don't know how to pray, or maybe you've been doing it wrong your whole life, if that strikes a chord in you, maybe it's a little offensive, I just want to encourage you, affirm you this morning, that even Jesus' closest followers, Jesus's first disciples, the people who walked with him and talked with him while he was here on earth, Even they didn't know how to pray. And we know this because we see records, we see in accounts of Jesus' life, his disciples literally asked him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. You see, I assume that they kind of looked or heard at Jesus' prayers, and Jesus' prayer life was probably passionate and vibrant. And they were like, our prayers don't sound like that, or, or our prayers aren't like that. They knew they were doing something wrong. So they went to Jesus, inquired asked him to teach them how to pray, and he would. He, he would eventually go on to teach them how to pray, a prayer that's familiar to so many of us, but before he teaches them how to pray, he actually teaches them how not to pray. Sounds fun, right? Just sitting down with Jesus, and he's like, yeah, don't do this, don't do this, stop doing this, and you're like, oh, geez, the disciples are like taking notes. Okay, I do that. I'm going to start taking notes not do that anymore. Okay, so first he teaches them how not to pray. And we can read this in uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 6, starting in verse 5. But for the sake of our time together today, we're going to actually jump ahead to verse 7. So if you look, it's in your notes in the weekly, or it'll be up on the screen in Matthew 6, verse 7. Jesus says this, telling the disciples how not to pray. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely... By repeating their words again and again. I think the disciples might have went like, Okay, good. We were praying for a long time because we thought that was the way that our prayers were going to get answered. Maybe you've heard people pray prayers that are really long, kind of fancy, maybe impressive. And so you think that you need to pray that way in order for prayer to work. Jesus is saying, No, no, that's not true. You don't need to repeat yourself over and over and over again. You don't need to say these long, drawn-out words. You don't need to say fancy or impressive prayers just for it to work. So don't do that. And then he goes on in verse 8. He says, don't be like them. For your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Your father knows what you need even before you ask. And I think this, I think this created a tension in the air, an elephant in the room, if you will. Because at this point, well, Jesus' audience that day and probably Jesus' audience today begins to ask the question, if God already knows what we need, even before we ask, even before we pray, why pray? It's okay. We were all wondering, right? If God already knows what we need, then why pray? I think his disciples were wondering this very thing. Why do we even pray if God already knows what we need? I think it's a fair question. But Before Jesus answers that specific question, he, he does go on to kind of demonstrate, to give, give this model of prayer of how we should pray. But he starts with how we should approach God. He starts in verse 9. Jesus says, "Pray like this. Our Father in heaven." Our Father in heaven. Maybe maybe you've heard someone pray like this before. Father or heavenly Father. Uh, maybe the way that you've always prayed, you address God is Lord, or God, or big guy upstairs, or hey, old friend. I don't know how you pray, how you address God, but Jesus is instructing us to address God as our, as our Father in Heaven, as our Heavenly Father. Now, this has never been a problem for me. My dad is a great dad. He's been present in my life. He loves me and supports me. I've never wrestled with this idea of addressing God as Father. My experience with my dad has always been positive. But that's not everyone's story. That might not be your story. See, there's so many people, maybe you're one of them, who hears people address God as Father, and they have to take a step back. They need to put up some walls or or do something because they know they know that this whole thing with them and God it can't work if they even try to think of God as father because their relationship with their earthly father brings up memories of hurt brokenness heartache abuse and so how in the world Could I ever see God as father? if That's my experience with my father. So many people face this and wrestle with this. I'm actually reading this book right now called The Good and Beautiful God. And and I was kind of preparing for, for this talk, for this message, this whole idea, this concept of the purpose of prayer. When I came across this quote in this book that I was reading... And he addresses this issue about these people who kind of throw away the term father when it comes to God. And this is what he says. Long before God made humankind, God existed as father, son, and spirit. Before there was ever any offspring, before there was ever Adam and his kids, God existed. There was God and there was Jesus, his son. They had the father and child relationship before any humankind. He says, therefore, fatherhood is first defined by God and Jesus, not Adam and his children. We should first let Jesus define who God is as a father before we let any other examples or any other experiences in our life influence who God is as father. He goes on to say this, the solution is not to abandon the term father, but to let Jesus define it. We should look to Jesus to the accounts of his life, to the way that he lived, the way that he trusted God, the way that he approached him, the way that he talked to him, the way that he prayed to him. And it's only then that we can see God is a perfect and loving, trustworthy, out for your good, heavenly Father, Jesus knew it was important that we see God this way, that we see him as trustworthy, as loving, as out for our good, as caring, as present in our lives, someone who knows us. Because this invitation to address God as Father, that's what it is. It's an invitation to be in this personal and close relationship with God, to not just see him as someone far out there, or someone way up there. No, it's, it's a close and personal relationship that we're invited into. This is why Jesus instructs us to address God as Father. He goes on, Jesus goes on to say, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May it be kept holy. The best way for us as humans to approach God To talk to him is to remember who he is and who we are not. See, I think this, in this part of your prayer, you can say, Heavenly Father, may your name be kept holy, or you can throw in other attributes that are true of God to remind yourself of who he is. To sit in the truth, that God is big, that he's powerful. That his ways are higher than your ways. That he knows everything. That he is perfect and loving. I think this is, at this point you can kind of insert any of those characteristics that you believe, that you know are true about God. Reminding yourself that you're just a human. Who you are not and who God is. This next part I think is where Jesus addresses the tension that he created in the room. The question that he presented to his audience that day and his audience today, us, of why pray. He goes on in verse 10. Jesus says, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come soon. May your will Done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what our first response is to this? Your kingdom? Yours? What about mine? What about my kingdom? What about my life? What about my world? What about my my health? What about my job? What about my kid that won't talk to me? What about that situation, that broken relationship? What about the person in my life that's hurting? What about me? What about the things that I need? Jesus would respond and say, I've, I've already covered that. Remember I addressed that. Your your father knows what you need before you even ask. He already knows. See, the purpose of prayer is not to petition God or to beg him or to plead with him or make this long list of your wishes and wants. The purpose of prayer, the purpose of prayer is not to move God, but to be moved by God. The purpose of prayer is to align our will with God's will. To align our will with God's will, that instead of approaching him with this long list of wants and desires, that we would approach him and ask him to change our desires to be his desires. To ask him to have his way, his will, in our life and here on earth. We all want a breakthrough, right? Whether it's in our health, in our finances, in our family, at work. We all want to see a breakthrough. But before a breakthrough can happen around us, a breakthrough has to happen in us. A breakthrough has to take place inside of us before it can take place around us. And this is the breakthrough. That we are changed by God. That we want not our way, but his way. I think so often, the breakthrough that happens inside of us, it looks like surrender. Surrender. Giving up what we want for what he wants giving up what we know and the control that we think we have to choosing to trust in him, a perfect and loving heavenly father. Surrender is so unnatural for us. It's why when you try to teach your kid how to swim, they just want to hang on to the side of the pool. They don't want to let go. Surrender does not come naturally to us. But Jesus knew this is where we have to be. This is the purpose of prayer, to give up what we want and ask him to have his way. I think it's interesting how towards the end of verse 10, it says, May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. Some translations say as freely as it is in heaven. Because here on earth, there are obstacles to God's will being done. There is so much sin here. But in heaven, God's will is happening so freely. His way is happening. And so if you consider yourself a Jesus follower, if if you call yourself a Christian, you should want, you should desire for heaven here on earth, for God's will to be done here on earth in your life and in the lives of people around you as freely as it's happening in heaven right now. And so to do this, we have to put aside our own, our own wishes and our own wants and our way and to say, God, have yours. May your kingdom come. May it be here on earth. May your will be done as freely as it is being done in heaven. See, some of you, maybe have walked away from prayer, kind of tuning out this message all together. Maybe you've walked away from prayer, maybe you've walked away from God, because you assumed, you concluded, God didn't answer my prayer. And so if God didn't answer my prayer, God doesn't care. And if he doesn't care and he didn't answer my prayer, is God even there? And I think this makes sense. I think this is totally reasonable, completely understandable. If God is some favor granter waiting to be summoned, or if God is just a lifeguard waiting to be called on but what if God is more than that what if God is none of that what if God's plan is bigger than you what if God's plan involves you but it's not centered around you what if God's plan is bigger than what you had in mind but yet he wants to invite you to be a part of it but it's not all about you His ways are bigger, they're higher, and they're better. A Couple of weeks ago, um, I have the awesome opportunity of leading our small group of high school girls here. Um, So as the student director, my job kind of entails like leading our small group leaders who lead our student small groups, and then also kind of logistically planning out different Events that we do, are making sure our student nights run well, speaking sometimes, those sorts of things. And so for the, the best sake of the ministry, for the longevity of it, for the best interest of the students, I should have small group leaders for every one of our student small groups, and I should be kind of pouring all that I can into making sure those small group leaders know how to lead those students the best that they can, that I'm equipping them, resourcing them, and making sure that our students are being led by their small group leaders, take one step closer to Jesus every single day. So come the fall, we were about to do our back-to-school bash, and uh, no high school girl, small group leader. So I'm like, okay, sign me up. I love this. So I stepped in, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to fill in for a little bit, and, you know, we'll find someone. And I kind of sat in with these girls in our circle, kind of during our small group time, during back-to-school bash, first, first student night of the school year, And I looked at the girls, and I'm like, okay, so just so you know, uh, I'm here today, but I'm not here to stay, okay? So I kind of explained the whole thing. I just explained to you. I explained it to them. and just, like, trusted that they could comprehend all of that and understand it. And I'm like, okay, so we're good, right? Like, I'm going to be looking for someone to come alongside me to help lead y'all, and eventually I'm going to step away so that someone else can pour everything into investing in y'all and leading y'all and loving y'all. And they're like, okay, okay, good. And I'm like, okay, good. That was in August. A couple weeks ago, I, I looked at my small group of girls that were there, and I was like, you guys remember that, that conversation that we had back in August? And it's March. And they kind of laughed. They're like, yeah, we remember. You're still here. Ha ha. And I'm like, yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> and I told them, I explained to them, like, listen, I've been praying for this person. I've been praying for the small group leader that that God would send and that God would have his will and his way and whoever this person is to come in and lead y'all and love y'all. And here's the problem is that I care so much about this right now because I've now spent the past couple of months leading these girls and I love them, I adore them, I think the world of them. And so I am like so passionate about making sure that God has his way that it's not just me forcing someone in that slot but that he has his will and whoever is supposed to come in here and help lead these girls and the other night, when I'm I'm kind of reminding them of this, and I just felt like, felt like I was supposed to ask them to pray with me. And that kind of felt wrong, like kind of weird, you know? Like if you're in financial distress, like you don't ask your child to like help pray with you and your wife or whatever to like, you know, pray through this with us. Like, I don't know, I just kind of felt like this is not their problem or like this is not like, their issue to fix or to, like, go out and recruit their small group leader. I was like, this just kind of feels weird. But I, I just felt like I needed to invite them to pray with me. And, and so I kind of, that's when I said, remember this thing I said, blah, blah, blah. I'm still praying for this person. And I asked these girls. I said, I want to ask y'all to pray with me for the small group leader. That God would have his will and his way, whoever would come in here to lead y'all. And they were kind of like, okay. And I said, but here's what I'm going to ask. Don't pray for what you want. Don't pray that someone cool would walk in here that you can vibe with, that you can connect with, someone someone that's on your level, someone that don't pray for what you want. Pray that God would have his will and that God would have his way for whoever he wants to be sitting here. You don't don't have to. I said, you you don't have to pray, pray for this. I believe God can do it without you and he can do it without me. But there is an invitation here to pray that God would have his will and God would have his way. And I believe that if you choose to pray this way, that your eyes will be opened. And that you will see something differently. That maybe another girl won't see when a new leader comes in. And another girl feels like, oh, this is weird. This feels awkward. Like I don't know her. I don't know if I want to share. I'm not going to come to student night anymore because I don't know if I connect with her. Whereas if you choose to pray that God would have his way, you will be on board with what God wants to do and his way of doing it. You see things differently when you ask for God to have his way. It changes you and your desires to be God's desires. Okay, if you didn't follow that, here's here's another one. Maybe if you're a sports person... Or if you're not a sports person, I think you might be able to follow this, okay? So Josh and I lived in Georgia for about two years, um, moved here last May. And over some point of those two years, 2020, 2021, I'm not really sure, the Braves won the, the baseball thing, the tournament. It was awesome. Like, I don't really know even what it's called, the championship thing. And... I have an Atlanta Braves hat I wear, it It goes with some of my outfits, but I don't really, like, follow the Braves. And when we lived down there in Georgia, we had a bunch of friends, including the family that we had lived with, who were, like, die-hard Braves fans, okay? Like, go Bravos. I don't even know what that means. I'm like, why does that relate? Okay. And so there were so many people around us who loved the Braves, who were, like, die-hard Braves fans, who who followed them so intently. And Josh and I, like, we did not, you know, like, we're just kind of like, whatever, this is cool, like, we'll kind of go along with it. I think he had a shirt at one point. And so the Braves, then they win the World Series, I think that's what it's called. They win the World Series, and it's, like, awesome, okay? And the family that we live with, they went to the parade. Like, they went to the parade, and it's, like, so awesome. And Josh and I, like, we could have gone to the parade, but we didn't, like, we probably slept in, I don't know what we did that day, but when you follow sports, if you're, like, a sports person, you have a team that you follow, and you, like, watch them, and you even are with them through, like, the hard times, and you, like, follow all their trades and stuff, like, it's so confusing, but you follow all of that stuff, and then when they win a big game, or when they win, like, the tournament or the championship, you were, like, yes, that's my game and you are like so excited about it because you followed the whole way and then maybe you like try to tell you know your spouse or or your friend or your coworker or someone at school you, you try to talk to them about like how, how big of a deal this is and they're like oh yeah cool and you're like wanna go to the parade and they're like sure what's the parade for and you're like okay Okay, but you're so excited about it and you're so on board with it and you see it differently because you followed the whole way. Josh and I didn't care. We didn't follow the Braves. See, what God invites us into, he he invites us to partner with him. He's going to do it regardless. He's going to have his way, but he's inviting us to be a part of something. He's inviting us to be able to celebrate with him when when he wins. And here's the kicker. He wins every time. Every time he wins. And even if to you it might not seem like the way you wanted or the way you would have asked for it to go, he has the final word. He always wins. So if you follow Jesus... And if you pray to align your will with God's will, if you pray that he would have his way, you're on the winning team. And it is so exciting to watch. You go up to your friend and you're like, did you see that? Did you see that they joined a small group? That was awesome. And they're like, oh, cool, who? And you're like so excited because you are partnering with God And you are watching him move. And you are watching him have his way. Watching kingdom come down. His kingdom. Here on earth. I think it's so cool. Because God could do it without us. But he chooses to invite us to be a part of it. But we have to pray along the way. If we want to be able to celebrate in that way. See this wasn't just a prayer that Jesus taught. This wasn't just something he told us to do. This was a way that he prayed. This was something he did, a way that he approached his heavenly father as well. And we see this. We see this example in the garden of Gethsemane right before he was arrested. Jesus, God in human form, he was arrested. The Bible's crazy. Y'all should read it. He he was in this garden right before he, he knew he was going to be arrested. He was going to eventually go to the cross. A perfect and sinless man to die a sinner's death, to be crucified. So he knew he was going there, and he, he's in the garden. He's on his knees, and he's praying. And some of the accounts, some of them say that, that Jesus was sweating so bad that it started to turn into blood. So he's pleading with God at this point. And we read in Luke that Jesus actually says Father, if there's any other way if you are willing please please take this cup of suffering away from me. I mean, he was about to go to the cross to die a sinner's death a a criminal's death to be crucified. I think this humanizes God like he Jesus was fully human and fully God I think this shows us his human side when he's like father if there's any other way like can you take this away from me can can we do it a different way if there's any other way to save your people to restore them to you to restore relationship I think we can relate with that that we want our way we have desires we would choose comfort. But then he says, facing the cross, he says, but yet not, not my way, not my will, but yours be done. Your will, not mine. Can you imagine? I mean, so, so often we avoid surrender. We avoid praying this way because we don't know what's on the other side of surrendering our will. We don't know what God has in store. We don't know how it'll work out. We fear or we are afraid that it'll go a way that we assume is bad, or that is not our preferred way. But can you imagine knowing what the outcome is, and it being like the absolutely worst that you would have to endure? Can you imagine knowing and still praying God have your way? Jesus knew, Jesus knew that for us to be able to pray this way, the way that he did, he knew for for us to be able to pray this way, that we would first have to be able to address God as our heavenly father, a father who is perfect and trustworthy and loving Because how could we trust someone? How could we surrender to them? How could we ask that their will and their way be done if we don't see them first as a perfect and loving Heavenly Father? So Jesus said, your way, not mine. He went. He went to the cross. And I think it was dark for a while. So many people felt hopeless. And then, on the third day, on the third day, when Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. See, it doesn't always look like we want it to look like on this side of heaven, but so often, as Jesus followers, we forget that God has the final word, that he will have his way, and it might not look here on earth how we want it to look. But Jesus is saying you have to trust him because he's your heavenly father. You have to trust him It's a breakthrough that happens in us first. You see, I believe that Jesus defeating death, hell in the grave, pretty impressive, right? It's like the ultimate breakthrough that could ever happen. But before that breakthrough happened, there had to be a breakthrough that happened inside of him first. Jesus knew. This is the purpose of prayer. Does prayer work? Does prayer even work? This kind of prayer always works. This kind of prayer always works. It works on us and it works in us. And so pray this way. Pray this way and start today. Start praying. Not for your list or your petitions or your will or your want, but for God to have his way. That your heart would be aligned with God's heart. That your will would be aligned with God's will. Pray that he would have his way in you and through you and around you. And your eyes will be opened. You will see things that you otherwise would not be able to see. In a couple weeks, We're moving buildings. In a couple weeks, we're going to have a new facility. What kind of church could we be? What kind of church would we be if we all decided to pray this way? That God's will would be done. See, the church isn't a building. You've probably heard us say that before. We are not moving churches in a couple of weeks. A church is a people. It's a body of people. And we, the people, we are moving into a different building. What kind of church could we be if we all prayed that God would have his way? When we get to this new building, there's a lot that I'm excited about. A lot. I mean, we could start with the offices that we will get to work out of, like actual desks. That's going to be fun. Uh, We could go on to the student room. That's going to be awesome. See, we're pumped about that. And, like, there's going to be a bigger auditorium, like chairs and and the fancy bathroom floor tile that's in the bathrooms kind of next to the auditorium. There's a lot of things I'm excited about. But the truth is, that none of it matters none of it matters in fact all of it backfires if we don't pray for God to have his way in us in our church through us because as change happens as growth and expansion happens if we don't pray that God have his way And do away with with our wants and our desires and our petitions. Well then that's where division happens. That's where disunity happens in our church. So we need to pray that God would have his way. That's where Ben will pick it up next week in part three of the series Breakthrough. But before we get there, I would love to pray for y'all. Heavenly Father, Father, help us to recognize on a daily basis who you are and who we are not. That you are good and perfect and holy and loving, that you are out for our good. And that you are worthy of all of our trust and our complete surrender. Father, have your will and your way in our lives and in our church and in our city. Lead us to surrender our desires and our wants. And to align what we want with what you want. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name. Amen.